Thank you. Thank you to the worship team. Thank you to all those who've helped uh, lead in worship this morning, to Steve and to Don, everyone. Thank you uh, for being part of creating this, this worship atmosphere this morning. It's so good to be here with you worshiping. Now, God has put on my heart two messages, actually, this morning, so you got to kind of get a two-for-one deal. And don't worry, it's not going to be twice as long. It'll be the same length, but I have kind of a two-part message. First is kind of a personal sharing that I'd like to encourage you uh, with, and the second is really to focus in on this text and think about this text together, and especially in the context of Granville Chapel here today in the 21st century, and think about um, how God may be speaking to us. So let me begin with a story. This is a true story. This is a story about a visitor who came to Granville Chapel about three months ago on Sunday, March 12th. So as worship was beginning, this visitor came, snuck into this, this sanctuary and sat right around there near the back of the sanctuary. And he was going through a season of transition in his life, unsure about where God was leading him vocationally, unsure about where God is leading his family in terms of a spiritual home. But he'd heard about Granville Chapel from a friend who'd had many, many good things to say about it. This friend had attended Granville Chapel for many years, in fact, grew up through the youth group and was mentored and discipled, eventually met a young man here, married, had, a, had children, and then part of the Young Mums Fellowship, so had lots of good things to say about it, lots of good feelings about it, and although God led her away from this church in this current season of life, she had only good feelings of affection for this church. And so... After such a positive report, this, this man, this visitor came to Granville Chapel, still without too many expectations, because he's been to many churches and has visited quite a few different churches, and he had come with not so many expectations on his heart and on his mind, but with a question, really, a burning question, which was, God, are you still in my life? Are you still leading me in, in my life? And are you still guiding me? Are you still with me? And in this transition, this season of transition in his life, as he sat down and as worship began, apparently the the congregation was going through kind of a transition as well. There was a new interim lead pastor who had just been appointed and who was uh, beginning and calling, uh, beginning the worship with a call to worship. And he sat down and then worship began. And God began to speak to this man. It was really quite a profound experience for this man as he uh, worshipped. The music began, the worship song began. It wasn't the music, however, it wasn't the musicians, although they were very good, that spoke to him. It wasn't just this community, but it was God through the worship. It was God through this community. See, for the last five years or so, this fellow had left his previous church with which he was involved for many years not through any ill circumstances or conflict or anything like that, just a sense that God had closed that chapter or was closing that chapter in his life and was inviting him to a different season, a season where he could focus on his family and focus on uh, his family's needs. And that meant uh, a kind of a distance from that church at that time. But in this transitionary phase, he wasn't sure where God was calling him next. And so when he entered into this space, one of the questions on his heart was, is God, are you still with me? God, are you still leading me as you have in the past? And so as he walked into this space and as that song opened and 
The chorus of the song went like this, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the greatness of God. And as he sang that song with his whole heart, the Lord's presence was very clear to him. The Lord's presence here in this congregation was very clear to him. And he surrendered his life once more to trusting in the Lord for this next chapter in his life. That visitor, of course, was me. I'd come to Granville Chapel that day after just starting to enter into this phase of discernment with Granville, wondering whether or not this position of lead pastor and I might be a good fit. See, I'd spoken with uh, Jan and Charlene earlier that week, a brief telephone call, a preliminary kind of interview, and that interview felt really good. And I felt, okay, okay, what's next? I think I need to go visit this church and see what it feels like in person. And I didn't have that many expectations as I said coming into this chapel. But what God reminded me of in that worship was that he said to me in a very deep way, I'm with you. So he reminded me of my time at Regent College, actually, when I actually first went into Regent College I remember that first week in chapel and the sense of God's presence with that community and in that space was the very same feeling I had in this space with you all. And I had no, time, I had no idea what, what God was doing at my, in my life at that time leading me on, but here again was this sense of same, same, same sense of God's presence with me in this space. And then he reminded me of how after my first six years in ministry, I took a step back from ministry, uh, almost on the verge of burnout at that time. I entered into this uh, ministry called Living Waters or Journey Canada. And there, within this program, this discipleship program, he met me, ministered to me, encouraged me. And he reminded me of that because of the authenticity and the brokenness of the sense of that worship and the community. And I sensed that authenticity and that sense of brokenness and spirit and God being present here in this place as well. And then as Tim McIntosh preached, he was preaching that Sunday, God reminded me of the first message I heard that captivated my heart from on radio, um, radio ministry from Chuck Swindoll uh, on the radio of all places that sparked in me a deep awareness of God's grace, uh, of a need for God's grace in my life rather than striving for and trying to achieve something. Really, my posture ought to be one of receiving and trusting, and following. And Tim's presence in his preaching, the clarity with which he taught, reminded me of that message. It was as if the Lord was saying to me, I know you. I know every season of your life. I know what you've been through. I know all of your background, and I've got you. Don't worry. I'll be with you no matter where you go. And I sensed this kinship, this affection for this community, even though I didn't know you at that time. And even he reminded me that he knows that I've been studying, toiling away in the Gospel of John for the last five years because you were right smack in the middle of the Gospel of John, a series of the Gospel of John at that time. So I remember going into my car that Sunday after service and writing down, jotting down in my journal on my phone, I said, Everything seems to be coming together. I have this very strong sense of being called to this community. And the Lord asks me, I said in my journal, not to fear, but to step into faith, step out in faith with what he has planned, to let go of my fears 
my shame, my guilt, and go where he is leading me. Yet not my will, but the Lord Jesus's, of course, because I didn't know where this process was leading. But I wanted to be open to where he was calling or where I thought he was calling. But there is another part to this story, a part to this story which really has to do with Granville Chapel, and that there was also this sense of sharing a message with you, which, which, which the Lord placed on my heart, especially after the message, after Tim preached in the ministry time, which uh, Dan was leading in, that there was a sense that God was putting this message on my heart to share with you. And at that point, I didn't know what form that communication would take because I didn't know like, if I would have this chance. I didn't know that I would have this chance to, to speak with you. And so I've been sharing it in bits and pieces with the search team and the board, uh, just as I've been having this opportunity. But the message goes something like this. God knows the faithfulness of this church. God knows what you have been through. God knows your love for one another. God knows your perseverance. God knows your heart. God knows your love for each other and your love for him. And he wants to bless you. He wants to affirm you. God is so proud of you, his sons and daughters. God is so proud of you, Granville Chapel. Keep going in the way that you have gone. And so thank you to especially the leadership, both present as well as those in the past, those here as well as those who are not here. Thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. And I, nor I normally don't speak like this, um, but I really do feel as if God gave me that message to share with you. So um, I was thinking, you know, no, no matter how this process goes, uh, whether or not it goes forward from here, I feel like I've gotten that off my chest now, and uh, I want to bless you with it. Um, now, the other thing that I feel like God gave me on my heart that morning was this passage, which I, which I want to unpack with you a little bit today, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And partly it's related to what I've just been sharing with you about encouraging uh, encouraging the congregation, encouraging you, because this, this passage from Philippians is so full of, of love, affection, and encouragement, and positive feelings that I, that I think partly that's why the Lord gave it to me. But as I looked at it again a second time, a third time, as I was preparing for this Sunday, preparing for this message, I feel like the God also gave me something else to share with you, and that is about community, this topic, this theme of community. And so the, the title of my message today is Koinonia, Friendship Forged in Fire. And I think that will make more sense as we proceed in this message. But the, that is what I want to look at with you this morning, community, koinonia. And in particular, I want to ask how. How do we achieve koinonia or fellowship or community or partnership? How do we achieve that Christian community? in the church. Now, I've been listening to a podcast um, quite frequently because it's been so fascinating to me. Um, and I was listening to this podcast on matters of health and biology, nothing related to spirituality or the Bible or faith. Now, this podcaster, he is a biologist and a scientist, and he was talking about how to manage stress biologically. How do we manage stress physically. And so I was expecting some kind of profound medical um, uh, knowledge about 
how we actually do that today or maybe some new drugs that have developed that will help us to kind of manage our stress or maybe some new technology that we strap on our chest to monitor our stress or something like that or maybe some magical app that we download that will help us manage our stress and to learn something about biology and stress. And I, indeed I did. But what really struck me in his talk on stress was that he was saying that the scientific literature has pointed out time and time again, has demonstrated that scientifically, one of the strongest mitigators of stress in our lives is community, is relationship. If you have a few friends whom you're very close with, that you have this depth of relationship with and you can share openly with, that is one of the, the, the main mitigators or ways that we can cope with stress and improve how we deal with stress in our lives. And on the one hand, I'm thinking, wow, that's actually so true. That is actually very profound that, that actually what we really need in life is not more scientific advances, but actually just relationship. But I think it also says something about where we are in our lives today that actually we need uh, scientists to tell us that actually what we need is more community. It says something about the individualistic nature of our world today that, that it was a scientific study that tells us actually that what we need actually is more relationship, right? That tells us something about the state of the society in which we live and how individualistic it is that we actually are not meant to be isolated from one another. We're meant to live in close connection with each other and in community. And I think if we see a search deep down in our hearts, we know that that is true. That actually, no matter what kind of person we are, I'm a very uh, introverted kind of a person, no matter what kind of person we are, we need depth of relationship. We need each other. And as I think about what the Bible says, and about who we are as human beings, of course, that's so true. God made us as relational creatures, relational beings. He's made us to be in fellowship together, in partnership together, in community together. Well, this sense of fellowship and koinonia, I suggest to you, is of all the churches that Paul had started in the New Testament, the Philippian church experienced it the most. The Philippian church experienced the, the best example of it that we have in the New Testament. So I want to look a little bit closer at the text to help you understand what I mean, looking at two clues in the text. The first really is not a small clue. It's everywhere in the text. And I think as Heather read out to us, it's just everywhere in the text. If you were listening to it, you could just feel it as it was being read out. And here I've highlighted some of the words the, the terms of affection and love that you can just feel permeating that text. And I'm just going to read out some of them to you. All my remembrance of all of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, that your love may abound more and more, that your love may abound more and more. And then the word that's translated as partnership and as partakers here in this text is the word koinonia, or the root word is koinos, 
which is a root word for koinonia in verse 4 and verse 7. And that's this reference to, first of all, the community, the larger community, and then individual partakers of this community, individuals within this community. And so from this text, there's this deep sense of affection and joy and love that Paul shares with the Philippian church. And in fact, that the Philippians shared amongst themselves. Indeed, Paul says he yearns for them with the affection of Christ Jesus, right? And we know how Jesus loves the church, how, the, how Jesus loved the Philippian church, that he would, he would leave his father's side in heaven and come down to this world and die for the Philippian church, die for the church, that's the affection. That's a feeling that Paul had for the Philippian church. That was actually how he felt about the church. And of course, we know that love is not just a feeling, as Adit shared so eloquently last week. True love, biblical love, chesed love, has to do with covenant loyalty and faithfulness. But also, true fellowship has certainly nothing less than to do also with how we feel, our affections for one another. That's part of what it means to be human. And so Paul expresses this so well in this opening of this letter, his deep, deep affection for them. So that's the first kind of clue. The second I want to look at actually has to do with how Paul introduces himself in this letter. Do you know how Paul normally introduces himself to his churches in the New Testament? there's a phrase that he almost always uses. What did he call himself? What was he in relationship to the churches and in relationship to Jesus? Well, allow me to read uh, some of the passages, almost all of them except for a couple of them, um, all of the openings to Paul's letters to the churches to whom he wrote. So Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. Colossians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother. 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. 2 Corinthians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, who with all the saints and the whole church of Achaia. 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. And 2 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. That is the primary way that he addressed his churches. That was the primary way that he related to the churches that he had started, that he had planted across the Roman Empire. Because this was his role. He was confident in this fact that he had met Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. And he had encountered him and Jesus had sent him with this mission as an apostle an apostle to the Gentile world. This is not pride or hubris or arrogance. That was his role. He knew it. He stood confidently in it because Jesus had sent him as one with a message to the world. So that was the primary way that he related to the church as an apostle. That was a way 
with which he exercised authority over the church, asking them to obey the Lord Jesus by virtue of his apostleship, by virtue of his authority over the churches. But now listen to Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there's no mention of his apostleship. There's no reference to his authority, no reference to his title, that role of apostleship. This is not a mistake. This is not just an oversight on his part as he's writing this letter. This is because of the nature of the relationship that he had with the church and, in fact, why he was addressing the church the reason why he was addressing the church. You see, he, he sees them not primarily as a church over whom to exercise authority, but actually as sisters and brothers and friends in Christ whom he is appealing to. So not just as an apostle, but as a friend, as a spiritual equal. He has his deep, deep affection for them. He's not speaking to them as an apostle, but first of all, as a friend, this is a letter of friendship to them. And the attitude, the tone is consistent throughout the rest of this letter. There are only two other times when Paul does this in the New Testament. One is a very personal, almost private letter to Philemon, where he addresses Philemon. And again, there's no sense of apostleship or authority in that sense. He's just appealing to to Philemon on the basis of their friendship. And the other is the correspondence to the Thessalonians. And again, there's a sense of warmth and closeness with the Thessalonian church. But here in Philippians, it's even more, it's even greater, this depth and warmth of friendship and the joy that he shares with them. Paul knows that the main problem that the Philippian church was facing was not their community was not problems within the community, was not strife or division or enmity or immorality even, as it is in some of the other churches. In fact, the main problem was, was beyond the church. It was opposition outside the church. Paul knew that the koinonia, the fellowship that they were sharing, was good, was sound. And he knew that the fellowship that he was sharing with them, he shared with them, was sound and was good. In our highly individualistic world, full of stresses and full of things that isolate us from one another, in which even the scientific literature is asking us or is telling us that the way to, to, to combat some of that stress is actually community and relationship, how do we achieve it? How do we go about it? Well, let's read on. Philippians 1, 3 to 5, Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in, in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Here's the key. Here's the thesis of what I want to talk about today. The text bears witness to this idea that when we give of ourselves in devotion to Jesus, when we give of ourselves in devotion to Jesus, Jesus 
creates that community. Jesus creates that koinonia, that sense of friendship amongst us. So let me say that again. When we give of ourselves in devotion to Jesus, he creates that fellowship and that partnership and that community amongst us. See, the key to community, the key to Christian friendship is not to focus on the community itself, but really it is to focus on Jesus and his gospel and what working in his in service of Jesus means. And then he creates that. And it's a byproduct of serving him and being devoted to him. Now, you might ask, well, what does it mean to give of ourselves in devotion? What does it look like? What does that mean, actually, in context? Well, I just want to go quickly through a couple of examples here. The first is uh, the example of Paul. That's in this text. And the, se- the second is the example of the Philippian church. It's also in this text. And so let's start with Paul. How did Paul give of himself to the Lord? How does Paul describe his relationship and ministry to Jesus? There are, of course, lots of different ways that we can talk about Paul's ministry and his life. Um, it's written in Acts, some of it, and he autobiographically gives some of it in his letters. But there's this one verse I want to focus on today that I think really, really paints a very uh, graphic picture a very concise way of talking about his life, his ministry in service to the Lord Jesus. So that's Philippians 2, verse 17. It describes it really well. He says, Even if I am poured out to be a even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, poured out as a drink offering. So the image that he's giving is that there's a sacrifice in Jerusalem at the temple, at the altar, and one of the sacrifices that was brought to the altar was a drink offering, uh, an offering, a, a cup or a flagon of wine that was poured over the altar. And this wine would spill over the altar as part of the sacrifice, part of the offering to God. And the image, that's the image that he's evoking. And of course, that image itself evokes another image which is the image of sacrifices on that altar, the image of animal sacrifices on the altar in which an animal is killed and its blood would be spilled on that altar. Again, this giving of life to the Lord. What he's saying is that even if I give my life to you, even if I give my life in service of Jesus, I'm glad and I rejoice because it's bearing fruit for the Lord in his kingdom. And of course, we know that this is not hyperbole in Paul's case. He did give of his life. Repeatedly, he was beaten. Repeatedly, he was imprisoned. He was writing this letter from prison. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He had all sorts of hardship and suffering in his life, giving of himself. And of course, tradition has that he was martyred. He gave his life literally for the sake of Jesus and for the work of his gospel. So in other words, he gave of his life by giving all of his life, by going all in for Jesus. Okay, so what about the Philippian church? How did they give of themselves to Jesus and to the work of the gospel? Well, Paul only alludes to it in this opening passage. He doesn't speak directly to what they've done. What he does say is that because of their partnership, it's that word koinonia, 
because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Later on, at the end of the passage, at the end of this book, he gives a little more details as to what that partnership looked like. And so I want to read from Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, that's where uh, Philippi was, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, which is where he went to afterwards, you sent me help for my needs once and again. And then we know from other sources, namely 2 Corinthians, what kind of partnership this actually was. So I'll read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, he's writing to the Corinthian church right now and speaking to them. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That's the Philippian church. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their, own, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So what kind of partnership is this? When no other church was giving to Paul and through his ministry to others, when Paul was just getting established at the beginning of his ministry, when he wasn't that well-known, not that well-established yet, the Philippian church was, were there alongside him. They were there giving. In fact, not just partnering with him, Paul says that they were begging him. They were begging him that they could take part of his ministry because they were giving not first of all to Paul, but to who? To Jesus, to the Lord Jesus. They wanted to be part of Jesus' ministry, and therefore they gave secondly to Paul in that respect. They heard God's call for them and Jesus' call for them. They wanted to obey the Lord. That's why they partnered with Paul. And how did they give? Not just according to their means, but Paul says, even beyond their means. Now, they were a church which, which was actually quite poor, we know. And they gave out of their extreme poverty to partner with Paul. That is the kind of giving, that is the kind of partnering that is the kind of giving of themselves that the Philippian church were about doing. So we have these two examples. Paul, Philippian church, and the result, this koinonia, the supreme example of fellowship in the New Testament letters. The principle I'd like to draw from these two examples is, is this, that the depth of the community that we share is directly related to the depth of our obedience to the will of Jesus in our lives. I think I can draw that principle from these two examples. The depth of the community that we share in Christ is directly related to the depth of our obedience to the will of Christ in our lives. What made these Philippians' community, their friendship, and the community so deep was the depth of their giving, the depth of their obedience to Jesus and the work of the gospel. They went all out. They did everything they could and then some, and then went beyond it. That's how they experienced God's goodness and his community and his joy and his blessing. Now, I know this is not a law written in stone that if we participate in God's work, we will only experience goodness and joy and blessing. 
I know that there have been times when people are serving and giving, and then they experience not community. They experience opposite. They may experience betrayal. They may experience hurt. That is certainly true as well. And there are examples of how we deal with conflict, how we deal with hurt in the Christian community. Um, but that is not the focus I want to talk about today. I just want to draw our attention to this biblical principle that as we obey Jesus, as we give of ourselves, then he creates that community amongst us. This has certainly been my experience in ministry, that as I have given of myself, that's when actually I, I experience community. So I remember a time um, in my ministry in the past when it felt like it was just me in ministry. So for a season of that life of the church I was serving at that time, just for, for whatever reason, all the ministry leaders, lay leaders and staff had uh, were led in other ways or had stepped down or were just uh, out of the community at that time. It was just me. So it felt like I was alone in ministry. But then came alongside me a former staff who was part of that ministry, part of that church, and then a former member of the church who had left but then come back because they felt called to minister in, this, in the time of this church at, in its need. And so the three of us kind of uh, partnered together to try to rebuild the ministry, and things really did feel, to, feel as if they needed to be rebuilt at that time. And so I remember meeting with each of those men, and we would pray weekly. We would pray in the basement of one of the members' homes, one of, one of uh, my brother's homes, and we would pray around this table, and we would share, and we'd pray through tears for this ministry every week for about a year, and we would support one another, and we slowly rebuilt that ministry. But I will never forget that experience of that one year in ministry, in fellowship with these two other brothers, because of our partnership together, as we came together being convicted from God, by God, that he was calling us to partner together to rebuild this ministry I'll never forget the tears that we shed on that table as we shared and poured our hearts out to God, asking him to come and build this ministry. And slowly the ministry began to be rebuilt, the youth ministry, the young adult ministry, the young families ministry, worship ministry, eventually the children's ministry. But that season of fellowship I will not ever forget. God's presence with us, his power with us in community and in friendship together, I will not forget as we responded to his call. And that has been my experience time again, time and again in ministry, is that as I step out in mission or in ministry or in the church, when I step out in faith, then he brings alongside koinonia. He brings alongside relationship, depth of relationship, sharing and friendship together. It's when we give of ourselves to Jesus is that when he, that's when he actually brings spiritual friendship into our lives. That's when he knits our hearts together in unity and love. I have another friend who has been on several trips to Thailand. He's a young adult. He's getting married, but he's been on several trips to Thailand to be a teacher overseas. 
And he's met some very, very deep friends through these experiences. And he's sharing with me that he's getting married this summer, but he's still in contact with these young people, these people whom he's shared in mission with, that actually, even though they're from different parts of Canada, different parts of the world, and that they've lost touch in other aspects, now as they're coming together, they're reuniting, and they still share this fellowship. And they're coming to re-encourage him or to reunite and encourage him as he's getting married, celebrate his wedding day. That was the kinship, the friendship that they shared as they served alongside one another. I'm sure that's the experience of others here too who've walked with Jesus, that as you, share, as you walk with Jesus and you serve him wholeheartedly, then he brings that fellowship, he brings that friendship, that koinonia to you. Now, the context of Granville Chapel in Vancouver 2023 is very different from the church in Philippi in the year 40 AD or so in the Roman Empire. The culture is different, the context is different, the times are different. And one of the ways that it's different is that there was this opposition to the Philippian church, as I mentioned, um, in that first century. So just a little bit outside of our passage in verse 30, Paul says, For it has been granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for the, his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. There was in Philippi this element of opposition that was outside their community. We don't know exactly what the nature of that opposition and that suffering was. Probably at this point, it wasn't physical persecution, not yet, not till later in the first century that that happens under uh, different programs and afflictions and persecutions. Probably at this stage, it's some kind of a social persecution, maybe ridiculing or harassment in terms of their social relationship in the context, isolation in terms of being isolated socially from the fabric of that community. Maybe it was some kind of economic ties that were kind of lost, opportunities that were lost because of their being faithful to Jesus and the gospel. But Paul says, and partly it's that opposition and their suffering and their pain and their hurt which actually bonds them together. And hence the title of this passage, Friendship Forged in Fire. There's something about challenge and hardship and persecution when we are serving Jesus that actually doesn't break us apart but actually brings us closer together in unity and friendship and in love. So Paul says that's part of their community that they share together. That pressure is like this furnace that forged their friendship and their love and their affection together stronger. Hardship is what actually bonded them together even more strongly. So in Vancouver in the 21st century in Canada, we have the privilege of living in a free country a society which is not oppressive, generally is quite tolerant of all kinds of religious expressions, including Christian faith. But I think that the context here in Vancouver is just as challenging in some other ways. Although there's no overt persecution of the church here, I think one of the greatest challenges to faithful expression of living out our lives to Jesus is actually this individualism with which we're living under. The, the individualism, this idea that, that we can make it on our own, that actually all we need is ourselves, that we're strong enough on our own and we can do it. 
the sense that we are on the world, in the world, on our own. That actually is an oppressive lie. That's a deception. That's not how we are intended. That's not what the Bible talks about in terms of relationship with one another. God has always been about creating a people for his name. Not just individuals gathering together, but a people for his name. Old Testament and New Testament. I mean, that in the New Testament, that's how we make sense of all this koinonia language, all this one another language about loving one another and bearing one another's burdens, burdens and praying for one another, caring for one another. How is that made real? It's actually in depth of community together. But the sense in which we're living today in the Western world is one which is, it's hard. It's challenging. Now, I'm so encouraged to see that in Granville's newly minted mission statement, this vision statement, there is this emphasis on community. Uh, I think it's really vital. And and I'm so glad to hear it's part and parcel of our identity, of your identity together as community. We're not just individuals in Christ, but we are community of believers gathering together, whether it's in larger groups or smaller groups or medium-sized groups. That's part of who we are as God's people. One of the privileges that I've had in this candidating process as I've been discerning with Granville Chapel is to become more and more acquainted with the history, especially the earlier parts of the history of Granville Chapel. Uh, some of you are aware of, I think, this document called The History of Granville Chapel. Uh, it's written by Ruth Oliver. And I think if you haven't got a copy of it and you'd like one, I'm sure Don can, can send you a copy of it. But there's so many interesting insights into the early DNA of Granville Chapel, into the early years and the faithfulness of the spiritual forebears and pioneers of this congregation, their tenaciousness, their courage, their vision for faith. But I want to draw your attention especially to one aspect of that earlier life of Granville. It was this thick, thick web of community that they shared. So here's a typical Sunday in the early decades of Granville Chapel. This is, I think, the late 40s or early 50s. So this is what a typical Sunday looked like. 9.45 a.m. to 10.45 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class. 11 o'clock to 11.45 a.m., Bible hour. 12 noon to 1 o'clock, breaking of bread and fellowship together. 7.30 to 8.30, evening service. And then Ruth Oliver also writes, one Sunday a month, a fellowship hour was also held after the evening service in the fireside room. Our family designated these Sundays as five-star Sundays because of the five services that were held on that day. Five services, I can't imagine. The average attendance at these special events was around 150, with as many as 200 attending. So obviously, they were very popular for a few years. What a wonderful expression of community lived out in real life here in the early 50s here at Granville Chapel. A couple weeks ago, Granville Chapel had its Vision and Values Sunday where uh, Wayne Elderton called this time that we're now entering a new era, a new era. What will Granville Chapel look like in this new era? How will we rebuild the community The koinonia, friendship of Jesus in this new era. How are we going to experience fellowship and partnership together 
in this new era? There are, these are exciting, exciting questions. And I'm not suggesting that we try to reduplicate Granville Chapel in the 50s. That's, that's not what I'm suggesting. That worked then and won't necessarily work today. But what I want to, do want to suggest is that whatever direction Granville takes, that we do it with abandon. We do it with our whole lives. I, I think it's not so much a quantity of our gift as much as it is the quality of our gift that the Lord Jesus is, will be pleased by. Not the quantity, but the quality that we're giving. So remember the church in Philippi was poor and afflicted, was giving out of their extreme poverty. I don't know exactly what that looks like on the ground in Philippi in the first century, that Paul would describe it like that. But out of their poverty, they gave generously. It's not how much they gave, but it's the heart with which they gave it. It's like that story of the, the widow in the Gospel of Mark who gives just the two pennies, two coins, two copper coins into the coffer. And out of her poverty, she gave more than everyone else in their wealth. Not the quantity of our gift that is important, but the quality. It is an exciting time, I believe, to be part of Granville's history. And if it is God's will, I, I would feel privileged to be a part of that. The beginning of a new era. And as such, and it's a great moment, I believe, to ask, how is God asking you to be part of this community? What is he asking you to be as part of this community? What is he asking you to do as part of this community? How can I be a co-laborer, a partaker in what Jesus is doing amongst us? And if you're looking for relationship, if you're looking for depth of community in this world, which is so individualistic, for yourself, maybe, maybe for your children, I'd encourage you to think about not what just what you need, but also in what you can give. Think about how you can give and who you can give to. Because I believe the path towards community, and I believe the Bible teaches us that the path towards community True community is not just to seek that community in and of itself, but really to serve and obey the Lord Jesus and follow his calling for you. And he will bring about, he will give you, he will give you that experience of real fellowship and community more than you had ever imagined could be possible. And maybe you haven't met Jesus yet in this very personal way. And maybe you're curious about who he is and who he claims to be. Well, he invites you too. He invites you too into this journey. Come and seek him. Come and receive from him. Come and serve him. Come give your life to him. Let me pray. Father, we give you thanks for scripture. We give you thanks for these letters of Paul to the churches which were started in the first century. And we give you thanks for this testimony of the, the deep love that the Philippian church shared both with Paul as well as amongst themselves and ultimately with your son Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for these examples. And thank you that we can learn from them. So help us, Lord, in this season of our lives, in the season of the life of Granville Chapel as we are seeking and discerning where God is calling all of us in your greater history. 
Help us, Lord, to see, to hear where you are asking us to be a part of your ministry, your kingdom work in this world. This is not a story that's fabricated, but this is reality. Touched down on this earth 2,000 years ago in the form of Jesus Christ, a human being, but so much more than a human being, who calls us to give our lives to him in return, back to you as an offering. So help us to know what that means in each of our lives, in each of our contexts. Not so much to give, maybe randomly, but to give where you are calling us and give of our heart in all that you are calling us to do. So Spirit, speak to us. Jesus, empower us. And Spirit, be with us in this journey. We pray this through Christ's name. Amen.